Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Support for the ISO is brought to you by Manscaped. Yep, that's right, Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Well, brought my wife in on this read because it's a little awkward. (laughs) Thank you for that one, Dan. I actually think that this is something people probably have issues with and aren't exactly sure where to turn. And that's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released a new and improved lawnmower 3.0. You might think, is this something I need? Have I ever had an incident when I probably could have used a Manscaped. Dan, I don't necessarily know that this is something you've ever had an issue with, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Well, here you go, folks. Right now, get 20% off and free shipping with the code ISO20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code ISO20. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. It was neat to see you play, and it's fun to talk to you all these years later because you played with a lot of joy and you played with passion. And I've seen Dan Dickow hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. (laughs) Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. Well, you know, I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. I think there were a lot of kids who looked at Dan Dickow and said, Dan Dickow can play at this level, I can play at this level. Today's episode for the ISO podcast, when we continue our The Best Of from Conversations throughout the year 2020, today's is on recruiting advice. There are... Student-athletes across the country that are wanting to play in college at multiple levels, whether they're a can't-miss Division I prospect or they've got to uh, look at other routes to continue their academic career um, as well as athletic career and want to be involved in college athletics. It might be Division III, NAIA, Division II, or even junior college might be the, the proper path for those players. In today's best of episode, there'll be a number of conversations and experiences from people that are well-versed in the recruiting world, in the evaluating world, and helping kids also get to the college level from AAU guys such as Mike Crotty from the Boston area, Brant Miner, a Division Three coach who runs some showcase events, to Paul Biancardi who runs ESPN's top 100 rankings for the best high school players in the country. Uh, There's also some conversations from players, former players, in what their recruiting was like and their advice to current players on what should be important. Enjoy, and hopefully 2021 is off to a great start for you. ESPN's Jay Billis played at Duke, uh, and he played some pro ball overseas. You know him now as a draft analyst, a college basketball play-by-play announcer, 
and a sharp legal mind who is pretty outspoken for things like college athlete compensation. He came into the SB Life Sports Studios just before the pandemic and sat down with Dan to talk about a number of topics. Here's a clip of Billis talking about recruiting, player-parent expectations, and the realities of the process. If you're good, people are going to find you. Yeah. Like the, the, the guys in college, they're not idiots. They see it all. And so if you're really good, you're going to be found. So the idea that you have to get all this exposure, um, you know, a lot of times what guys do is get exposed is they want exposure and then they get exposed that they, they can't play the level that they think they can. And so this is supposed to be fun. If it's not fun, then you're making a huge mistake. And if you're not enjoying the experience of it, you're making a huge mistake. And, like, I had a guy come up to me at my camp. It could have been a nicer guy, dad, and was talking about his son saying, you know, we, we need to get him more exposure. We need to get him seen. I go, where do you live? And he said, we live in Washington, D.C. I go, your son's been seen. Yeah. Like, you know, you don't live in Fargo, so, you know, Fargo, South Dakota, you know, whatever it is. For Fargo, North Dakota. <laughs> uh, you don't live, you don't yeah. live there. You know, it's not like you're, you're living in a remote area. Um, you know, there, there are sometimes when you're, you're just you're good, not great. You know, do you want to play in college? Is that a goal? Is it something worth pursuing? Or is it something you're putting all your self-worth into? That's the problem I have with it is, is just the numbers don't warrant all this. If, if I were to run a camp for uh, high-achieving students and, and I was sitting in there saying, I think your son or daughter can be a Rhodes Scholar. I think most of the parents would go, come on, man. <laughs> come on. Yeah. But they're all they're, – they're, but, but if you tell them your son or daughter can get a scholarship and play Division One basketball, they're all going, yep. Like, how could, how could people be such lame consumers in that regard? Um, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Well, I think a lot of it's the excitement of athletics and right. college, the ability to maybe play in college. Um, and get a break on admissions. <laughs> True. Seriously, that, yeah, that's, that that's one of the biggest issues is is most parents are looking at this saying, well, wait a minute, if my son or daughter plays, they get a better shake from an admissions office and they can get a better cut of school. Um, so it, it's it's a more difficult um, it's a more difficult landscape to navigate, especially when you don't you know you haven't been through it before. Yeah. Um, but I, my thing with to parents would be quit worrying about it. Like your kid's talent is going to take him, him or her, where to their level, and you need to think about what environment you're you're putting your kid into. So if you're looking at a school and you're thinking only about basketball, um, you should be thinking about more than that. First of all, you should be looking at at the players that are there and have been there. Like what locker room are you putting your kid into? Because if you put your kid in a locker room full of knuckleheads, don't be surprised when a knucklehead knocks on the door to come home for Christmas. You know, that's that's yeah. going to be the way it is. And so uh, an environment and, and how your kid's going to grow and be beyond basketball is going to be way more important than the basketball itself. That's not, and I'm going counter to what I said I looked for. Yeah. But uh, but I the truth is I got lucky. And uh, and it wasn't that I wasn't paying attention to any of that stuff. But but uh, I think you have to be especially when, when you're looking at all these different places now. And for, for the overwhelming majority, they're, they're looking to get in. Yeah. Well, don't just, take, don't just take the one that says, well, hey, you can play here. Um, well, yeah, I can play there, but do I want to be there? Well, I think that's so 
valid for so many people in their decision making process because if you're a five star kid regardless of where you live northwest corner of the, of the country in washington or, or florida wherever teams are going to find you but if you're kind of that middle of the road guy that just wants to play high school bass or excuse me college basketball what are some of the determining things that besides what you just mentioned that the parents need to mentor and the coaches need to mentor those kids to look for because there's nothing wrong being at a lower level school if you have a great experience for four years as opposed to, to maybe transferring after a year yeah I think the first and foremost you have to you have to make a, a clear-eyed decision on on what do I want out of this do I want to be do I what do I want to do and what where do I see myself in the future uh, and and look for the school that's the best fit the school that's the best fit and the basketball work out. Um, now, it's not that it's unimportant. It's really important. So just for example, my son, who was uh, – he'd probably kill me for saying this. My son was a Division II uh, talent and would have been a, a good Division II player. But he wanted to play Division One And playing in the ACC or uh, the Big 12 or the Big 10, the places where he was, he was recruited as a preferred walk-on, he, he probably wouldn't play very much, if at all. And so he'd have to say, okay, I'm, I'm in this for something different sure. than playing time. So if his happiness was attached to being out on the floor and being a relied-upon player, well, then Division Two is where he needed to go. But then you have to look at, well, if, if you're going to go to Denison College in, in Ohio, do you want to be there? Is yeah. that somewhere you want to be? He, chose, he, he would rather have been at Wake Forest, and he understood, I'm probably not going to play here, but I can contribute. And he wound up being captain of the team and, and, you know, playing a nice role in the program, and he was really happy. And so for him, that was the right decision. Uh, you know, for, like, for you, 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 were, you had your choice of things. And so when, when, when you get to say, you, when you got 200 schools recruiting you, mm -hmm. and you get to say, eh, no, I'll take this one, this one, you know, most people don't get that. Yeah. You know, we were lucky. And so that's a totally different deal. When you're choosing – uh, most people are searching and trying to find the fit, and that's that's way more difficult. And so it requires uh, a little more uh, thought, and it also requires the parents to uh, really help the kids. So it's not a uh, it's not a crusade. You yeah. know, that that your self worth isn't wrapped up with what school you go to because it really doesn't matter. I mean, it matters, but it really it's not the big. Like I, I used to have to tell my kid. All right, we can do this in any way you want, but let, let's take a look at, like, CEOs mm -hmm. of major corporations. Any pattern as to where they went to school? And the answer is no. Yeah. You know, there was no pattern. It wasn't like they were all Ivy Leaguers or, you know, they, they were all over the place. And, and so you can, you can do a great job and have a, a, a fulfilling experience at most anywhere you go. Clint Parks is a trainer and AAU coach who has ties to Hawaii, Washington, Wyoming, and now lives in Los Angeles where he's trained NBA players like Kawhi Leonard, Kyle Kuzma, Ben McElmore, and more. In this clip, he talks about how to develop as an individual, but in a way that can fit into a college system and a team concept. So from the October 23rd episode of the ISO, here is Clint Parks and Dan Dickow. When you have a player that um, is beginning to be recruited to the college level 
and you are, I'm sure, a sounding board many times for the high school coach, many times for, for the player and the parents. Um, how do you try to impress upon a college coach that might be leery of somebody like yourself, a skills trainer, to share with them that you're working on the things that are, are going to translate to the next level for that player? I think, I think the biggest thing for me is that, obviously, people that follow me on social media, you see the videos I post, you see the stuff I talk about. And over time, when, when before everything kind of took off, it was just, you know, you just try to let players, you try to let coaches know at the front door, like who you are, what you're about, you know, you're honest and up front. And then when, and then when my guys get there, when they get to school, I'm still always involved. You know what I mean? It's not like, Oh, they get to college and now you're just on your own. No, because once you get to college, there's a whole nother level of work that's involved to be able to succeed at that level. And so it's always letting the coaches know, like, these are the things we're working on in the off season. And then I'm going to, I'm going to be at practice. I want to be able to come to practice. I want to be able to watch to see what you guys are working on. And, and knowing that, you know, the most important thing in training is knowing that I tell people this all the time, coaches control playing time, not trainers. So the more we work hand in hand and you being a, me being able to help the kid develop and become good at what the coach wants, because ultimately what he wants is what's going to get you on the floor and keep you on the floor, not what I want. And so as long as that, when they know that and they, they know that, that you understand that as a trainer and then everything else kind of is easier from there for me because they, they know like, okay, now you understand that at the end of the day, you're working individually with this player, but when the game starts, he has to be able to fit in a system. Brant Miner is the head coach of Division Three Pacific University in Forest Grove, Oregon, which means he recruits basketball players without scholarships. He has a lot of perspective and insight on the importance of grades, and his message should be one that uh, every prospective college athlete and parent of a college athlete hears, like this quote from the episode. Quote, going to AAU tournaments is tough because you can like a kid, but if you don't know anything about their academics or family situation, it can make it difficult to recruit them. End quote. I recommend going back and listening to the November 6th episode of the ISO here is a snippet from that episode. Again, Brant Miner and Dan Dickow. Well, you've got a really unique perspective 20 years later because you coach at the Division three level. And you're seeing kids going through that thought process that you had to go through. You, had a, you wanted to play Division one, but maybe the scholarship opportunities weren't there. But there is a whole new world that a lot of kids and parents and a lot, quite frankly, a lot of high school coaches don't understand that Division three NAIA basketball is very good. And if you find the right fit, you can have a great experience. Now that you're an assistant coach at that level for Pacific University and you're recruiting kids, what is your message to them as you get to know them uh, about working through their process? Great question. It's all about fit, right? That's kind of the buzzword. Everybody says fit, but what does that mean? Portland was a great fit for me, even though I knew I was never probably going to start a game or play significant minutes. The school, the size, the location, all those things factor into the fit. And so now I'm kind of trying to talk kids out of doing that walk-on, which is what you're kind of mentioning about the unique perspective, because I did it, and now I'm trying to tell kids, hey, um, one I use is, do you want to be a guy or the guy? 
you come to Pacific University, you're going to be the guy. You're going to have the ball in your hands late in the game. We're going to, you're going to be able to impact player where if you walk on, maybe you earn a spot, maybe you don't, maybe they cut you, maybe you're a two-year bench player and you earn a scholarship. Obviously, Dan, you being a Gonzaga guy, you've seen the Andrew Sorensons and some of those guys, Hart and Michelson, some of those Gonzaga names of guys that have done well as walk-ons. But the Division Three level, like you're saying, is completely misunderstood. It's, it's high-level basketball. Everybody's just a little probably smaller. Skill-wise, it's not a drastic drop-off, but physically, size-wise is the major differences that I see. Uh, and I think the NAI level is a very high level with scholarships, obviously, now going to one division. Prior to Pacific, I was at Southern Oregon University, which is NAIA. And having scholarship money, I was recruiting differently than now Division Three without scholarships. So the main thing, if there's kids that are listening or parents, the best way to give yourself more options to play in college is to get good grades. And I know some kids are like, well, shouldn't it be to improve my jump shot or, you know, get a better handle? But the best way to improve your chances is to get better grades so then you can have the opportunity possibly to walk on. Because a walk-on needs to help the team GPA. You know, they can't be a liability in the classroom. And the Division three level without basketball scholarships, they have to have the grades to first off qualify to get in, but then also qualify for the merit scholarship to help pay for their school. So I think the Division three level is a great option and a great fit for those kids that want the smaller class sizes, want to know their professors. Um, we have 2,000 undergrad students. A third are athletes, so we get a really good turnout at our sporting events. Um, it's a great location, Pacific University being 40 minutes from downtown Portland and an hour from the beach, Seaside, Cannon Beach. Uh, so you have a college atmosphere college town but you're a hop skip and a jump away from a Blazers Nuggets game or a Blazers Lakers game so there's a lot of things that I love about Pacific yeah I can tell that you know your thought process was, was really well developed when you were going through it in high school uh, and it sounds like obviously now as a coach your pitch is well developed to kind of uh, suit who that you guys are evaluating and you're recruiting Obviously, there's a lot of guys at the high school level that you have to, as a, as a coach, sift through to figure out who fits your program, who doesn't fit your program. With one of your side endeavors called Max Hoops, you have the opportunity and the ability to see a lot of kids um, every year at different events that you run. Um, you run some different uh, weekend events, and then you run uh, in a large-scale AAU tournament every year where you get a number of, of AAU teams to, to your location in Las Vegas and have your typical summer evaluation series tournament. With running those events, you now, I can imagine, are able to pick and choose and see the different levels of players. And then when you're going back and talking with those kids, are you able to really help them dial in, hey, you know what? Maybe it is a Division II opportunity that would be best for you. Maybe an NAI because of your grades, if it, if it fits. Maybe Division Three because you're a great student. 
how have has your separate endeavors with Max Hoops really helped your networking and your evaluation in impacting kids at that level? The Max Hoops has been great. I see a lot of kids. Um, like you said, Dan, I'm seeing kids in Seattle, Spokane, Reno, Sacramento. Our biggest locations, Portland, since that's where I played. That's where I live now. But I'm always evaluating. Going to AAU tournaments is tough because you can like a kid, but if you don't know anything about their academics or their family situation, it can make it difficult to recruit them. So we do a high academic showcase where you have to have above a three-point to attend. So the AAU tournament in Las Vegas that you mentioned, I've built a lot of relationship with those club team coaches. So I'm able to ask them, hey, which kids might fit our profile that have the grades, that have some financial support, which kids should I be looking at? And then I kind of compare those kids to the other kids that the other coaches are telling me to watch. So going to an AAU tournament blind is really difficult because there could be a kid that I love, but they're a 2.7 and they're probably not going to be able to get into Pacific. So there is those relationships this past season. Uh, Pacific had the freshman of the year in the conference, in the Northwest Conference. So the best freshman. And he came to a Max Hoops event when he was a sophomore. He's from Spokane, went to Gonzaga Prep for three years, and then transferred to West Valley and had a good senior season there. Uh, had options, probably could have walked on, maybe had D2 opportunities, NAIA scholarships, but he had planned ahead. His family had planned ahead and saved a little bit. And he really wanted to have the ball in his hands and wanted to be the guy. And he came in, started the season. We had some seniors that were good scorers. So he was more of the facilitator. Two of our leading scorers went down midway through conference. And Nick Drynan really stepped up and averaged 20 a game, had 32 at Linfield, 29 against George Fox. So Nick really stepped up. Um, but that's a relationship that I built when he was a sophomore in high school at Gonzaga Prep. So it sounds like so much of, of your evaluation is understanding fit, fit with grades, fit with uh, type of school a kid and their family may be looking for, and fit within levels. And your work with Max Hoops and the events that you run allows you to kind of sift through some things to maybe give Pacific and your coaching staff an opportunity that might not have been there. Pooh Jetter was an undersized guard who crafted a great college career in the WCC at Portland and a long professional overseas career. His advice to undersized point guards, quote, don't worry about no rankings. It's all about development, end quote. He joined the podcast last month to talk about his story, give advice to undersized point guards, and uh, talk about a little bit how he is giving back to the game in the LA area now. So, here is Dan Dickow and Pooh Jetter. You were a player who was very similar to me. You were probably undervalued in your recruiting because you were smaller. And right. what? And now that you are very entrenched in the L.A. basketball scene, helping young kids kind of prepare for their opportunities, what's the biggest message that you would share to an undersized point guard uh, in regards to their belief in themselves as well as their skills to develop? Well, like I always tell them, like, don't worry about no rankings. Like, let's forget about that part. It's all about development. 
you know, and with my case, I didn't play AAU. You know, Coach Hurt, you know, he saw, like, a lot of politics in this AAU game, and he was like, man, we ain't playing AAU. We're going to develop and get the right reps. The same reps that they were getting at AAU, I was getting with my high school team. So it didn't really matter. So it's just really who you're learning from and believe. Stay confident because I have a lot of the L.A. kids from, man, from 10-year-olds to pros shadow me in workouts, and I've seen the ones who are not ranked against the ones who are ranked. Like, it don't matter. It don't matter. Just continue to stay focused, keep your eyes on the prize, and just work. And then you have to work some more. So, like, in, in, in during these times when it's like, man, I want to get ranked, or I said, man, don't worry about that. It's all about timing. You're going to definitely meet that person. Just continue to stay ready. Work and timing are two words that I really took out of what you were mentioning there, and that's something that uh, obviously all players to maximize their potential have to always work, and the timing has to be right. Paul Biancardi is the national director of recruiting for ESPN. He's a longtime basketball coach and sees and assesses high-level D1 players all the time. He joined the podcast to talk about ESPN's high school recruiting rankings, the importance of evaluating in person versus just on film, why he doesn't watch highlight videos, and much more. So if you want to listen to the more, the full episode is in the feed of this podcast. It came out on October 14th. Uh, perspective recruits and parents. It's a great one to understand how the ESPN national rankings work and some of the criteria behind them. So here's a clip from that episode. Again, Paul Biancardi and Dan Dickow. How difficult is it to make lists based or evaluations based off of film? Because you might not be able to, to see the spacing or the IQ of a kid or the understanding of, hey, action's happening here. I need to get to this side of the floor that opens up. That's difficult to see on film, if I'm not mistaken. How do you kind of balance that as well as talking to coaches right now? Yeah, that's a great question. And beside the spacing, as you mentioned, and the ability to really read the IQ, the other thing you don't get off of film is athletic ability size, the measurables. If somebody's 6'6", they may not look 6'6 on the film. If somebody is really athletic, it's hard to tell how athletic they are. You do college games for us at ESPN. You know when the opposing coach says, hey, they're really long, they're really athletic, and then you do a Florida State game and you see them in person, it's like, oh my gosh, this is like an NBA team. So I would say that athleticism and the physical measurables are really hard to evaluate and uh, you mentioned it the IQ but film does a lot of good it's always been a supporting tool uh, for me for evaluating whether I was coaching or doing uh, the recruiting for ESPN it's a great supporting tool and it's now turned into a tool that has to be the primary uh, recruiting tool uh, evaluating tool until we can get to events uh, on a more consistent basis uh, live but I do like watching film a lot because you can see how a player uh, interacts with his teammates a little bit on the court. Depends upon the, the value of the film. If it's a bad quality film, I'm not going to see much at all. Some of these companies have really got sophisticated and, and they show you some clear film. They even throw on an announcer so you can know who's who. 
but usually I know who I'm looking at. And um, it's a good tool. I like it. But I think it's time to get back into the gym to see that, you know, the, the coachability, the body language, the things that I want to see before and after a play. And I want to see how the, the player interacts with his coach, his teammates, when he sits on the bench. You know, is he at the end of the bench? Is he near the coaches? Is he talking to his teammates? I'm looking for all the traits under the surface, and it's really hard to see on film. I can see a guy make shots. I can see a guy make the open pass. I can see a guy rebound, and I need to see that. But if you want to look deeper, you have to go live. I like the, the characteristics and the attributes that you talked about looking at, looking a coach in the eye, being connected with your teammates on the bench as opposed to sitting uh, at the end, maybe with a towel over their head. And you, you called video a supporting tool. And I completely agree with that because anytime that I've had a chance to watch a shoot around, I've gotten more out of that for prep as opposed to watching a game on TV two nights before for one of my broadcasts. But when you talk about video as a supporting tool right now, there, there's two different factions going on that I've seen with these high school tapes. You see the high school highlight and mixtapes versus full games. Is there value in both for, for someone like yourself who wants to see the athleticism, the ball handling, the shooting form, the footwork? Can you get it out of both or what do you prefer? Oh, I strictly prefer whole game tape. I want to see it from the jump ball all the way to the final buzzer. There's a lot of things is to look for. You know, if a guy's team is down 20 points with two minutes to go and he's still in the game, I want to see how he responds to those last two minutes. That's going to tell me something about his character. Is he going to go off uh, in terms of just playing for himself? Is he trying to get his team back in the game? That's different. Is, did he quit? Did he stop giving effort on the court? Uh, highlight tapes are, are great for families. They're great for uh, memories. And um, I really don't look at highlight tapes. I, I will not look at highlight tapes uh, unless somebody I know and trust sends me a clip or two or three or five minutes of somebody. But I got to tell you what. Now, if you sent me clips from somebody up in your state and you said, I, I think he's a Division One prospect or I think he's a top 100 type player, I would look at it because it's you and your credibility in the game as a player. I know you coached player development with the Blazers and all your basketball background. That I can do because I trust, your, I trust your opinion. You've been there, you've done it, you've played against the best. But random highlight tapes mean nothing. Everybody looks better when they make a shot in a highlight tape. You never miss shots in highlight tapes. You never make turnovers in highlight tapes. You never have bad body language in highlight tapes. And tell me, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you watch a lot of film too, I never get a highlight tape of defense unless it's a guy blocking a shot. I never – I would love if somebody sent me a highlight tape of a guy taking charges. That, I would love a highlight tape of a guy getting over a ball screen and staying in front of the ball. So – in my world, they're, they're really meaningless, uh, full game tapes. But if you want memories down the road and show your kids, make highlight tapes. That's, that's such a great description of both of those. You know, to, to be honest and to be fair, there is one highlight group that I know here in the Northwest that does focus on some of the other things, the footwork and the defensive effort. But you're right. I, I would agree with you. If I want to 
get the true sense of a player or a team, if I'm getting ready to cover a team, I want to watch the full, uh, the, the full game, not just bits and pieces of what worked well. Because you're right, you got to figure out what didn't go well and then how they, did they react to it. As you're building out your recruiting lists in your, your evaluations for ESPN, I'm sure you get – maybe bombarded is not the right word, but you get pushed by a number of AAU teams, directors, to look at their guy or to rank their guys as a, as a, at a certain position. How hard is it to basically say, you know what, this is my – unfiltered view of what I've seen and granted you've seen a lot but you quite frankly can't see everybody across the country because you can't be at every event but you cover it as well as anybody in the country how hard is it to did not listen to all the outside influences of people that want their guys ranked yeah yeah they don't push me they shove me (laughs) and uh and I understand why they do it's they're fighting for their player they're fighting for their players' parents. Uh, they're fighting for their program, and, and they should. Just like a good coach during the game gets on the official uh, to support his team. I guess th- to answer your question, is the, the hardest part of my job is what you said, seeing everybody. Now, I do see everybody, whether it's in person or live. I, I mean, I do see everybody that is ranked I've seen in person, and I've seen them on film for sure. But you can't see every player in the country play at one time. So, for example, if I'm at an event on the East Coast and there's a West Coast event going on at the same time, all these great players out in the West Coast, some are playing well, some are not. I'm at the East Coast event. And even at the East Coast event, there's eight courts going on at once. I can only go to one game at a time to evaluate. I I watch one game, Dan, and I lock in on that one game with those prospects. So I can know as much as I can about those guys. That's the hardest part of the job. You know, how people approach me, um, I understand it. I deal with it well. I did it as a coach for 20 years as an assistant, you know, at Ohio State and Boston College, St. Louis. People saying, look at my player. You should give him a scholarship. People telling me why I should recruit that guy. So I understand it. I listen really well, but I do have a very uh, good filter. And I use my criteria when I make the list of who's going to be in the 100. And unfortunately, number 101, 102, 105, those guys are great players. You and I know that. Let me give you a, a scope of this. Every year, there's about 1,000 Division I players from high school. We have 351 teams, I believe, now that are Division I. On average, they offer three scholarships. So you're looking at about 1,000, 1,100 Division I kids that sign every year. So out of that group, I'm trying to make a list of just 100. And that's really hard to do, but, you know, that, that's the, the funnel. I have to get it down to. Uh, I feel good about it. It's never perfect, but I do believe the evaluations are accurate. Um, and I use a criteria of performances in the high school game, their college potential, uh, their productivity, and then where I project them to be in the NBA draft, if, if they're going to be NBA draft players. Not all of them in the 100 will project out to be draft players, but if somebody's going to be number one in the country, you bet that they're going to be projected as a lottery 
uh, pick in the draft. So it's kind of like the 4P method, I call it. And then and under that, when I watch a player, I have criteria of all the things I'm looking for. I enjoyed listening to, to that description because I've seen your broadcast before when you've, you've had a high school game on ESPN during the course of the season. And you do a really nice job of saying, hey, you know what, this kid has a chance to – he's committed to this school or these three, four schools are recruiting him hard. He's got a chance to be really good because of this. And if he becomes really good here, maybe he can move on to the next level. So you look at that currently from a recruiting list evaluation standpoint. But before you got into that, you were a college coach. And so you had to look for a specific need for your program based upon what you and the head coach of the program or when you were the head coach at Wright State, you felt you needed. What's the difference for you when you look at kids in your role now versus when you were looking at kids uh, when you were coaching and evaluating in that instance? Well, first of all, when I was coaching, I was looking at a lot less numbers, right? You, you only, if you have two scholarships to fill, you may look at, you know, 30, 40, 50 kids, and you may have a list or a board of, you know, eight to 10 to offer those two spots. And you're always looking as a coach to the underclassmen, which, which I do now at ESPN. I don't just look at the senior class. I have a junior class to rank and a sophomore class to rank. Uh, I have a lot more time with ESPN to do my job. When you're coaching, you have to sign guys that, A, that you need, and B, that fit. And I think as a coach, well, hopefully coaches do a, a really thorough job at the character evaluation. See, to me, that's so important because the person can stop the player from being great. If somebody has too many red flags or too many um, situations that won't allow that person to fit in your program, you got to know how to say no and pass on that person. Uh, so you're, you're recruiting for a specific team. Uh, you're recruiting less players. You're doing way more uh, under the surface evaluating of the person. And you, you build real relationships, or at least I did, with the players' parents and their coaches. I build great relationships, or I try to, with ESPN. But if you're looking at, you know, 1,000 players every year, it's hard to build relationships with all those people. Uh, and just the senior class. So I don't have as much time to develop relationships with people as I did as a coach. So I think that's the major difference. And you're really locked in and zeroed in on what you need as a coach. Right now, I'm locked in on what everybody needs and all the players that I can see. William Payne is the head coach at JUCO SUNY Adirondack in New York, and he's an advocate to raise awareness of the viability and opportunities non-Division I schools provide. He joined the podcast on the December 11th episode and talked about the differences and similarities amongst some of the different levels of play. So here is William Payne and Dan Dickow. Now, when we had our first conversation months back, we, had, we talked a lot about the evaluation uh, of, of small college players, and the recruitment of small college players, and how special small college basketball is. Now, that's a loaded question, but most people know <laughs> Division One, sure. some Division Two. outside of Maybe. those two levels, Maybe. people don't understand the difference when a player is being recruited uh, to the national junior college level or to a division three or NAIA. Can you quickly kind of share 
um, the most important aspects uh, of the recruitments for small college programs? You know, that, that, that varies. I don't know that there is a uh, – to kind of give that same answer, I don't know that there is one single aspect that's more important because the levels vary so significantly. Uh, a lot of times the, the way they don't vary, though, is the way that most people believe they do vary, and that's talent. <laughs> most people believe that that's what truly separates all the levels, and in all actuality, that's the one thing that doesn't separate them as much. Um, uh, a side note, I want to give a huge, you know, I was wildly ecstatic last night that um, the young man from uh, John Logan, uh, Juco, was was drafted to the NBA last night, straight out of Juco. So when we see things like that happen, it, it really brings a lot of, uh, you know, spotlight and a lot of attention to the to the non-Division One levels. Uh, but, but, you know, speaking of, let's take John Logan or a school like mine, uh, NJCAA, what we look for is starkly different than what some of the D2s look for, what some of the NAIA schools look for, or the D3 schools. The aspects are very different. Obviously, we're all looking for talented players, but we're, we're very much looking for different things based on, uh, you know, where we are um, the, the previous year, various things. As an example, at a school like mine, SUNY Adirondack, it's very rare that I'll ever recruit a kid out of state, right, uh, just because – um, in the state, we have a very small budget, and, and this goes across the board for pretty much any non-Division One school. Uh, if you're a state school, you'll find it, it's rare for non-Division One schools that are state schools to have a huge roster of kids out of state or out of region. Uh, some schools are able to offer in-state tuition to bordering school, bordering states, some are not. So you'll see that there's a lot of regional talent on non-Division one rosters for state schools. Not so much for private schools because they don't fall under the same guidelines for the state scholarships and grants and things like that. So for me, one thing I'm going to always look for is in-state first, region second, academics, and, and how that all plays into the total package. To whereas, say, a private school like, say, Queens University in Charlotte, they're a little different. They're a private school, extremely well-funded, uh, so you'll see more of a national roster on that school. So it really just is going to come down to the institution, the culture, and a few other things. That's so interesting and insightful because I don't think a lot of uh, AAU coaches or high school coaches that are ha helping parents and players navigate understand a lot of the regional or state aspects that you're talking sure, they about. They don't. They don't. If, if there was, you know, one big piece of information that you could give to uh, a prospective student athlete and, and their parents, what to look for in a program, what would those bullet points be? And, and I know that's kind of a, that's a difficult question without oh, knowing the kids. Sure. Uh, sure list of what they want out of college? Right. Uh, well, I, I'll answer that question this way. Uh, a lot of people ask me, you know, what should potential recruits look for in a school? What's the most important thing, right? And, and, and it's debatable. Again, this is another one of those questions. If you ask 20 people, you may get 15 to 20 different answers. I kind of stand firm in, in this outlook with that. Uh, a lot of people will say the school that wants you that should be the that should be the number one factor, right? Who wants you? Because you know, there's I'm sure there's a lot of young people in the state of Washington that want to play for Gonzaga. Only a few people are going to get to. 
So the school that wants you is going to matter. And that's true. But I actually think that there's something above that. You'll hear a lot of people talk about the academic standards and, you know, the academics should be number one. As, as much as I push academics, I'm actually a person who doesn't say academics should be number one. And the reason being is the statistics behind freshmen or college athletes in general or college students in general that change their major. It's so astronomically high that someone going in as a freshman who may want to be, I don't know, a pediatrician, 50% of the time they're going to change their major. So, so I don't actually say look for the degree path first. For me, it's always going to be about the culture of the school. One, do you see yourself living there for the next four years? Because essentially that's what you're going to be. Is this the town you want to live in for the next four years? Is this the culture? Is this the environment? Is this what you want? Second, in my opinion, should be, does the athletic program, the coaches, the staff, do they want you to be a part of their program? Third, then the overall academics. Um, a, lot of the, a lot of the degree paths that, that young people want to look into, they still have to do the prerequisites, the various things that, that for the first two years aren't going to matter that much anyway. You're going to have to take them all. So don't worry so much about the degree path in the beginning as long as it fits your academic standards and rigor and outlook and things. So those are kind of my threefold is, is the culture of the school, the atmosphere, the environment, then the athletic program, then does the academics fit you? Because the academics can be great, but the, if those top two don't work for you, then that school is likely not going to work for you. Some really good points. And I agree with so much of that. I remember as a high school kid, when it looked like I was going to have a chance uh, to at least play college basketball. And then it was going to be on me on how I developed and how hard I worked to determine the level that I was going to be at. But I remember my high school coach, as well as an AAU coach that I played for, uh, always using the term, use basketball, don't let basketball use you. And I think that's something that... Use the game right there at the bottom in the red. Use the game. Don't let it use you 100%. Yeah, I see that now in the background of your slogan. Yeah. Absolutely. And I don't think enough people understand that and what that means. And I think the way that you expressed about how to look at a potential program is a way to use basketball as a tool to, to, to set yourself up for future success in whatever it may be. That's it for Best of the ISO Recruiting Advice episode and with that the end of this best of the iso series if you missed uh, the rest of those episodes go back and listen to the best of the iso college basketball coaches stories from the nba stories from the gonzaga basketball sidelines and the best skill development advice as well as of course this episode best in recruiting thanks for listening subscribe wherever you get podcasts rate and review while you're there We'll be back on Wednesday with a new episode of the ISO with Dan Dickow. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.